0: When they tested the baby, do you know what the what the result was of that?
1: Oh yeah, so it was that it was Edwards. It was Trisomy eighteen. It took ages um for that to come back for those results because so the the fetus is sent off to like London or something. Um, I think. Okay. And it took it took a while, like maybe a couple of months, which is difficult because then uh, yeah, it takes a, it t- maybe it didn't take it. No, it took a while. It did take a while because my body by that point had fully recovered mm. it felt at least you know like yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd had a few pregnancies so I was showing really early and early like, yeah 15 weeks and by that point so it must have been a couple of months for my body to have recovered but then you've got that then you go through all of that again and yeah it's re- taking you straight back then I suppose yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and that <laughs> and it's just none of it's done in a trauma-informed way or with the appreciation of the impact that those things have on people and families, but also about three days after, because I was with the community midwife, because I was going to have the baby at home, about three days after she phoned me for my next appointment. Oh I, like, I did, I'd actually joked with her and I said, like, come on, man, like nobody's told you. I surely there's a shared computer program with my notes." Yeah someone's gone red flag do not speak to this woman unless you are like sharing condolences like
2: why are you phoning me like no I don't ever want to see you again no and do you, I mean I'm I, I'm gonna ask this because the same thing happened to me after I came out of hospital after I had Zion I said and I before I left I said to the midwife like I've got my um 24 week checkup next week they're due to ring me do you tell them or do I tell them she's like no no it's fine we'll do it all we'll we'll tell them I was like okay that's fine next week I get the phone call, and then I have to explain and what's happened. And then do you find that you end up having to console them because yeah, they then feel yeah, bad because yeah, they rang you because the information yeah, wasn't passed
1: on? Yeah.
2: And actually, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be the one doing the consoling; yeah, they exactly, should be consoling yeah, exactly.
1: you. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So she was like, "I'm really sorry, whatever." But yeah, like her case was probably too high as well, so she was just moving on to the next woman on a list of people that she had phone that morning. Um. So yeah, so that is um. That that is one of my pregnancy stories, I
0: guess. Yeah. So did you ever find out why, or if there was a why, um, as to why the baby had Edwards, or is it just is it some is Edwards something that can just come to a pregnancy, or is there more risk factors with certain parents, etc.?
1: Not really, no, it's just it's a really well, the only information that I've ever had is in that letter. So I've never spoken to somebody about it since. Um, and I'm sure that somebody would be able to give me more information. So if I, if they had sent me a letter saying you've got an appointment with a doctor who's going to spend thirty minutes giving you results and you can ask them questions, then maybe I'd have got more information. But no, I had this letter. So then your information lies in Google. Yeah. So it's yeah. a very rare but very serious um, chromosomal malfunction, for want of a better word. Um. It... And know it happened. The um, apparently, it's far, far, far more likely in babies that are female, oh, okay, than in male. So we then came to the assumption, as off of the back of that, that that baby was
2: a girl. Yeah. So you didn't even because they, would've, they, would've they known, would have, they would have known, but you but didn't and find
1: it, out. But, And had I been able to have an appointment, then I could have asked couldn't I? because all of mm.
0: that
1: being on there because. That that is that would have been recorded information because it was about chromosomes. So the chromosomes themselves, which include sex chromosomes, would have all been listed. Well, yeah, especially that, well, that's
2: how they yeah. know. Then it happens yeah, more yeah. in females. So they obviously do look at yeah. the sex. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because um, if a baby's born prematurely, a female is more likely to survive,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a male is more likely to die.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I don't know but that is yeah that is the case so mm. in the research that I've done mm, mm. Um,
1: yeah
2: so I mean thank you thank you for telling us that as well Sorry. because um it's important isn't it
1: though? so no I don't think that enough people as women we don't about anything to do with pregnancy though. as women I don't think that we talk to each other enough <laughs> no we don't we only we only ever talk about the nice stuff yeah. oh you
2: have a baby oh it's lovely your yeah. hair grows your nail grows yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your glow it's great. No, I mean, I didn't glow. I had spots. <laughs> like, you know, My nails
1: broke. <laughs> like, you I, know. I remember just after I had my daughter, when I was 17, so I was a baby. Just looking at my mum and aunties thinking, my God, nobody warned me that it was going to be as horrendous as it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 I remember that. Having my first child yeah. and afterwards it was like,
2: Why does no one ever tell you about this? Why does nobody ever talk Mm. about this? Like, this Mm. is horrible. And it lasts for like Mm. six weeks or so. It's Mm. like some people longer, some people shorter. But still, it's like, it's not nice.
0: Mm. You know what I didn't know about? So I was 19 when I had my eldest. Mm. And I didn't know that you bled Mm. afterwards. Mm. I don't know why, but it's just not a concept that I thought of, I knew that there could be blood in labour, but I never knew that that would spawn like two weeks of yeah. the heaviest period you've ever experienced yeah. in your life. <laughs> yeah, afterwards.
1: yeah, yeah. So even obviously with that operation, um, so afterwards my it's got a your uterus has to go back to your uterus is about that big normally, and then when you have a baby, the size you, of the yeah, size of a fit. Sorry, yeah, but then when you have the baby, of course, it's huge the uterus has to contract back down whether you've gone full term or whether you've experienced um pregnancy loss at 12 14 15 weeks so then i had that to contend with so if your body that's what's hard in it is your body your body having to do what it needs to do to go back to pre pregnancy state yeah yeah um, and at that because i was showing i was having, I'd already bought like maternity clothes and mm. Yeah, it's a lot. Or even having experienced early pregnancy loss, the feeling of, like, your body is just doing something that you have no control over is so difficult as well. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It It's just happening, something that happens to you.
2: Yeah, and your mind has to catch up with your body. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Because
2: that's what it is, isn't it? You you prepare yourself no matter how early you are. I think Mm -hmm. as soon as you find out you're pregnant, your mind already starts going into the future and you already start preparing yourself yeah. to what life's going to be like, as far as you're concerned, life's already changed. Yeah. So then you didn't have to go back to adjust that. No, it hasn't changed. It has changed, but it hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. And so how did you deal with that process? Because you've had to go for that, the physical part of it as well, but this, you haven't touched much on the, the emotional yeah, part. Yeah. I had no
1: time, man. Honestly, like, so, um, as I said, my daughter's Nana died. I wasn't really ever with my daughter's dad for very long and so my children have different dads but um my daughter's nana was a really key person in my like early motherhood okay.
0: yeah
2: that's okay don't worry yeah I mean I mean for people that don't know I, I've known Saf since she was pregnant <laughs> with her, her first daughter Kiana so yeah it is and she was she was a, she was a big part of both yeah, your lives yeah yeah
1: yeah and she's a very much like um a matriarch as well mm. like, like I've been to a lot of um, kind of houses after people have died and they're all often very full and her house like bursting at the seams, like the amount of people that would call her and you know, whatever. So, they, so that was really, that that was featuring as a big part of that experience because, yeah, I don't know, that, I, that idea of like being a mom and pregnancy, a lot of that is my association with that. Is quite often wrapped up in my the support I received from her, yeah. so I suppose I was in like that bit of grief as well because it was, mm. it was quite a difficult loss. And so, looking back, it's difficult to like separate those feelings. Um, but yeah, also like I, it's not it's an unhealthy thing. It's not something that I'm bragging about or celebrating. But I am somebody that will crack on
0: quite pragmatic let's call it pragmatic that's what I like to call it sometimes when things need to get done no because I'm the same because I I think I could be sad about this but then what's the outcome going to be if yeah, I yeah. sit in this sadness, yeah. there's, you know, it's not going to help. And you know, whatever it is that needs to be done still needs to be done. What's the, what do you think is a long-term impact?
1: Really, really, really difficult. And the difficulty of not just being, having the courage all the time to like sit with those emotions in that moment means that inevitably it's a delayed reaction. Yeah. So then when you're yeah. in a space of your life where everything else and other people have moved on, then something can trigger you or you can be hit with it in it. And and that's and that delayed response is really unhelpful because actually if you give yourself the time to sit with it in the moment, often your support networks are more equipped to deal with it with you. Yeah. Because they understand it, they get it, like, yeah, oh God, you poor you, like you've just come out of hospital or like, yeah. whatever. Whereas six months down the line, people have moved on.
2: Yeah, I mean, and which is which I don't agree with and I don't promote at all. But this is where where I always say time like grief doesn't have a timeline, mm. but lots mm. of people think it does. Mm. So they give you, like you said, they give you a moment at the mm. time and but then they expect you to deal with it in that moment mm. and move on. And it's if you then want it to grieve a year later, mm. people can't comprehend that unless you've been through similar stuff yourself. You can't comprehend. Yeah.
0: That. And I think it's also uncomfortability. Un- I think, you know, like what Safia was saying earlier on about those awkward conversations that you have. I think it's also that because if you see somebody, you know, and as you said in that moment, you can give them your compassion because you also feel it at the time because somebody you know. But I think as time goes on, if your life hasn't directly been impacted and a year later you're feeling like you have to then still be consoling someone, it's just the awkwardness of where do I get that empathy from now at this point I think that that can sometimes be what it is it's the awkwardness and people don't and I don't think it's that people don't want to support or they don't feel like you know they still have sympathy or for you but I think it's just how I think people just don't know how to do that
1: like, because it because like pregnancy and pregnancy lasts and motherhood is so complex it's such a like a complicated and colorful thing for women that's like made up of all different sorts of experiences there's a bit of a like um like a hierarchy of grief so for example when you had Zion I found myself in a couple of our conversations like referring to my pregnancy and then like beating myself up about that as though there's this kind of like hierarchy of grief yeah so, like uh, that, as though like so, you know, if you're six weeks and you suffer a miscarriage, a yeah. lot of women might think, you're joking, that's like nothing in comparison to what I've been through or what my mate went through or whatever. Yeah, so I, I, hear think, I think women find it difficult to sometimes talk to each other because not only have so many women experienced pregnancy loss or complications with around motherhood but it happens really regularly in
2: our lives as well. Mm. You know I mean? Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying, I 100%. I mean, I did I did the same thing to myself. I I had three miscarriages in between when Mia and Bella, and then when I had Zion, I just thought, oh, the miscarriages are nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
2: know, right, I did, yeah. and I did it to myself, and it's only um, as time's gone on that I, when I think about it, no, it, but that's, that. this is the reason why I'm doing the podcast, to fight against that, to yeah. fight against that norm, <laughs> because I strongly believe that, a loss is a loss mm-hmm. and no matter what stage of pregnancy mm-hmm. you are and no matter how it happens or what the circumstances are if you are you know if you're looking forward to something and then it, it doesn't happen a loss mm-hmm. is a loss mm-hmm. and it's still it depends on the person it depends on their situation and it, but it, it can impact us somebody who loses the baby at six weeks could it impact it could it impact them in the same way it impacted me when I lost Zion so or
0: well, even worse if you think of people that have been trying through ivf or whatever for years and years and they've had multiple pregnancies that maybe haven't taken them getting to 6 weeks is a major milestone for them so you know whereas when i talk about and i know i spoke to you before and saying that you know i've always been really fertile which is why going into early menopause now as i am has hit me harder because i'm like i don't understand this not having periods and not being able to get pregnant if i want to type thing so i think it just depends on what your history are, is yeah. with that particular yeah. thing
1: i think that like so this is the first obviously i've spoken to people in terms of like people checking in with me or like are you okay or and there's been occasions where sometimes with you actually, Louisa, where like because there's a familiarity with the process and yeah. being like the clinical, the medical process, how you get a letter or whatever. Yeah. that it could be quite a, like, a matter of fact conversation. Like you don't, you don't have to skirt around the edges because yeah, you can, you, well you, you feel, com- we feel comfortable. Com- yeah. yeah, yeah, you can feel the energy of different people. But when I started this conversation just now, it was the first time that I, having said it out loud, realized that I did have an amniocentesis with my daughter 18 years ago because there was a higher risk of what they thought was down, which is a chromosomal issue. And that the um, most recent pregnancy loss was due to a chromosomal issue. And all of the early pregnancy losses, for all I know, down to a chromosome does that somehow so actually it's really important for you you, how you to build an understanding of your own experiences by talking about them yeah because I've not got those things I didn't come together before for me okay so now if I got pregnant I'd go in and say I might be at risk of chromosomal issues in pregnancy but I hadn't thought about it like that before but there's obviously there is a reason why I've also had a series of early pregnancy losses as well
2: yeah, and, mm-hmm. and 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 unfortunately, as we discussed in the in the first um, recording, that um, the way it works here in our NHS, you have to have three consecutive miscarriages before they'll start doing any tests to figure out why, and that on its own is traumatic enough for, yeah. for a woman to have to I go have through. Had that. No
1: one's offered me any tests. Yeah, see, and the- I've had more than three early pregnancy losses but in the last um, however many years. I've been able to be pregnant. So Kiana was my first pregnancy. So in the last eighteen years. I've had a number of pregnancies, I don't know, six, seven,
2: something like that, and I have two children. Yes, and then, and then, and that depends on the person as well. I mean, like, listening to you now, you're very comfortable in yourself and you're very confident mm-hmm. and be able to speak, but, uh, you know, 17 years ago, 18, 16 years ago, whenever the, the mm-hmm. first one happened or the third one, you, you just, you wouldn't have known to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. In my situation, because they happen back to back, mm-hmm. and I was told after the second one, uh, when I asked, like, why is this happening to me? Mm. They, then I was told, you have to have three mm. before we can look into it. Mm. And obviously, oh, you know, we were actively trying. So I mm. asked for mm. these tests. Yeah. But if you don't know, then explain that to you. Yeah. Then
1: you're not gonna, you're not gonna yeah, investigate. The yeah. systems are rubbish as well. It's not, you know, I when you had the last pregnancy that I had, my notes were still on paper. Yeah. So yeah. people, are, they're not doing a very yeah. good job of yeah. bringing all your information together. Well, so there's a bit of a red flag that happens, they, like,
2: and they clearly don't share information you know the fact that you're getting community midwife call you afterwards yeah, exactly. and things like that so they're not yeah. sharing information and again this is one of the reasons why i wanted to start this podcast so women have a comfortable space yeah. to be able to talk about their story tell their story because yeah. sometimes like you said with the timeline and things sometimes that you feel a bit awkward you feel a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about something Because you don't want people to think, oh, she's gone on about it again. Oh, she's back there again, sort of thing. But no, this is part of life.
1: Especially if part of your, if part of the narrative that people have about you or you have about yourself is that I'm strong and I get on with things, and like you Mm. undermine that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because that becomes who you are, isn't it? Like, like a big part of my personality is that I'm strong and I can crack on. That's really unhelpful. I was going to swear again. That's really unhelpful. In term, it's unhelpful, it's unhealthy for me, yeah. It's it really helpful for me because it means that people don't feel like they have to check in with my yes. they don't see me as somebody that makes
0: How do you feel? Just a question, um, on how you feel now about children having more children is that something that you would consider? <laughs>
1: uh, maybe, yeah. Um, I wouldn't not do it. I would, I maybe consider it, yeah. <laughs> We've thought about it a little bit. Um, Do you have
2: anxieties
1: about that? And if you did
2: it, nobody would well, again, judge you I think, for I it? Think
1: it's, it's a, I think it's a complex thing, right? Because as, as I said, like I had Keanu when I was 17. I've always been a mum. I'm like 36. Like I'm just going to just always be looking at <laughs> little children. So it's yeah. like a lost opportunity that, that, that we lost that pregnancy because... I do feel like it was it's starting again, and that's like a level of honesty, I suppose, that we don't have around these conversations because yeah. that's not about anxiety about a pregnancy. That's like selfishly about my life. And
2: what yeah, I, well, it's not necessarily selfish. It's just being observant, I would say, because yeah, you well, know it's about motherhood.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but I, what I am conscious of is the age gap between my two children means that they're like two only children because there's there's such a big age gap, and so I have thought about having another one. And I actually did say to my other half, when we were talking about it recently, that it, it just drives me. I, that I'd have to get a scan every week. I think the level of anxiety would be a lot, man.
0: Yeah, I always say that if some miracle happened and I was able to have another child, I would go private, at least a private midwife if there was. And that's just for my own peace of mind I know I was saying it when we had the the, when we talked about my story and I was saying you know for my own peace of mind that's what I'd want to do and like you're saying with the whole scans and tests and all the rest of it um yeah I think that it's horrible to say but I don't think the NHS would be my first port of call at all if I was able and that and that impacts whether I would have another child because you have to be able to afford it
2: yeah well yeah yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah and it's time and and the thing the thing I keep getting from the everyone I'm speaking to is the support or the yeah. lack of support yeah. and the yeah. way information is given and the I suppose I mean I know that doctors professionals midwives you know they deal with these things more regularly than we would but they still need to take in consideration that this is an impact that's a life-changing event for us yes. And I don't feel like it's treated that way mm-hmm. when we're in that situation, yeah, which yeah. then has an impact on how you he- how you heal from that as well, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. So. And you're right, they do deal with it all day, every day. And that's a very good argument for why I shouldn't have been put on the maternity ward, because there's no reason why there, should be, there shouldn't be space made on gynecology wards or women-only wards or whatever it might be, where there's a couple of side rooms where people that are coming in for um, the, the kind of, I was going to say treatment that the operation so to speak that I had could not be just put in another room away from like women that were laboring or whatever mm. but, um I'm pretty sure at Bedford it was the early pregnancy and got unit that I was on
2: yeah they don't
1: there's not I mean I'm walking past so that's that's the hospital I had my son and I actually did yeah so I walked past where I had my sweep when I had my son and things like that so it yeah it's that to me is wild because that is such an obvious thing that yeah like, you really think it easy was is intervention mm. um and they just not they just not set up that that room that was used it was a big it, definitely it was a cupboard
2: <laughs> i know i know the cupboard stuff i've been in the cupboard myself <laughs> i've been there too but just
1: you know partition that waiting room so it's a little bit smaller I and mean, just creating some space that allows them to build in a bit of psychological safety for the patients that are coming in for them to receive the right sort of training that doesn't have to be additional that can be incorporated into the degree when you do when you do midwifery when you do nursing there should be a part of that course that looks at the kind of the complexities and understanding of trauma and its effects and how it manifests and what it looks like in terms of behaviors and presentations so that staff feel more competent in dealing with people that are going through an event that will then become trauma or having gone through an event experienced trauma and now going through something that's potentially triggering because they would feel better able to deal with that person in front of them and that person would feel better looked after and for them as well because you know let's not forget that these things might be traumatic for them mm-hmm. as well, Absolutely. and if they yeah. don't deal with it Absolutely. properly, if they don't further done a good enough job, then they have to go home and think about that. And if again a lot yeah. of wives are women, so if we're talking about how how um how much this happens to us and how triggering it is for them, are they pregnant?
0: Yeah, are they lost like you know. Yeah, and it, I, I, yeah, I think it's it's the same as like you know people that work in certain I- industries like social workers or whatever. You can feel that heaviness of the things that you're seeing. But the other thing that I wanted to say was. It's funny, well, not funny, but that if you've been a victim of violence, uh, you know, somebody stolen from you, or, or you, somebody you know has been a, a victim of, of crime, that the police have set up support, they will send a particular person to your house to support you, they will do all of this stuff because you're a victim of crime. Why it's not looked at the same, your child has either got an issue or has passed away sadly, why they don't think that that same level of support is necessary. And I think it, it does actually speak back to women's voices, um, and and where we really are in society and, and how, how much they're willing to listen to women's voices and how important we're placed.
2: Exactly. Yeah. because if you actually, if you actually look at a lot of pe- um, hospitals, NHS policies and procedures, it is written in there. You know, it is they they do talk about you know being trauma informed or you know having a bereavement midwife and offering aftercare. It's just that not all hospitals actually put it into practice, mm-hmm. but it is there. The guidance a, is there. It's
1: the, the one of the first things they'll things like that are an add-on they're nice yes. to have so it's the first thing they introduce yes. when they've got money and it's the first thing to go when they're undercuts yeah. and that's quite it. often the NHS is suffering from cuts and those yeah. nice to have just go yeah and, and they, women yeah. just women's experiences just aren't prioritized because often those policies and processes are created by men and ultimately we do live in patriarchal systems and whilst women are often at the forefront of that medical care they're often not at the very top of that medical care making those decisions about policy process budget money and where yeah. money is
2: spent and also it's having the confidence to speak about it as well and talk up about it i think a lot of women in these positions don't want to talk about pregnancy and birth and things like that because they think, like oh she, she's just talking about women's stuff
1: yeah, exactly. you
2: know because it, it's the stereotypes and you know it's the society we live in mm-hmm. again one of the reasons why i want to do this podcast mm-hmm. because it, I, it's not right and mm-hmm. it needs to change. Mm-hmm. So um, they're actually, if you go on social media, things like that, there's actually quite a lot of support out there, mm-hmm. but you have to look for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you, and it's it, not in the mainstream.
2: No, no, you can't, you, the hospital, you can't go to the hospital or, the, or to your doctors. And and then if you do, you, you know, oh, we go for the being, and then, you know, you've got to wait six months mm-hmm. before you can even speak mm-hmm. to somebody. And then you've got to speak to 10 different people and tell them your story yeah, 10 yeah. times over yeah. before then you actually get some therapy. And
1: there is a place, a, 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 definite place like specialist services whether that's like grassroots led and like women like us coming together and talking about it but it should be linked into the mainstream. So if the mainstream don't have the money, don't have the intuition, the will, the want to deal with it, they need to be linked into the places that ask. So they can say, "We can't help you," but we know that these are ten different places where mm-hmm. you can go yes. that go beyond whatever's listed on that. Yeah, yeah, rather the yeah than
2: the one yeah. or two that they yeah. they know about the sands. Yeah. Sands. I mean, not saying yeah. not slating sands or anything, but that's the only one I knew about. And when yeah. we're in the middle of a
0: pandemic.
1: Absolutely, it's yeah. not the best and place also, to go this is a different conversation altogether maybe we can come back and have it but there should be more availability of like culturally sensitive services specialist services as well so that women are amongst women that look and feel and sound like them that they feel in company with and in community with um, because that is a whole nother dynamic
0: as well yeah yeah I'm 100% agreeing with that because I think you know obviously I'm I come from a Caribbean background and perhaps there's not so much stigma on baby loss but in other cultures like I know perhaps with the African culture or some Asian cultures losing a baby or not having children is like a huge thing culturally so to so for that woman Let's say that that Asian woman from a particular culture that comes into hospital and has lost their baby is much more uh, than about the trauma of the baby loss. It's also about are they a failure now within their own families or do they feel like that, whether or not that's what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that having culturally um, sensitive, as you say, or culturally targeted services is really the way forward yeah. To, yeah. to help those families.
2: Yeah, everything, everything. Because I even mean, even in the way you grieve, we mm-hmm. we all grieve differently. As mm-hmm. uh, someone that is a West Indian background as well. And, you know, uh, you said about when you go into your, your daughter's grandma's house.
0: It's, it's, yeah, everybody was
2: there because that's days. part of our culture. Yeah. You know, yep. when somebody dies, everyone flocks around your house. Yeah, for nine days. Yeah.
0: And eats yeah. all your food and drinks all your alcohol.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. It's really hard. because when, when I lost Zion was it when I mean, granted it was in the middle of a pandemic but we I couldn't do that and it was really yeah. weird, and it was really it was really weird but then it, at the same time because you're losing a baby which is against the natural order mm. people still feel really uncomfortable mm. and they don't know what to do like do I go around the house or you know do I treat it in the same way like I think people that are really close to you will just come yeah but, but you know the family that's not so close they don't know what to do and it, it is about <laughs>
0: And I think it's as well, because normally when somebody dies, the whole thing of that whole nine-night system is that you're talking about the person that passed and, oh, they would have liked this. You're pouring out, you know, a, a, a shot for them. You're, you know, all of that type of thing. But it's a person that normally has lived at least some portion of life that you can talk about their memories. And I think with babies, it's like, what do you say to the person? You can't say... You know, like my grand used to say, they had a good innings. You can't say they had a good innings. You can't, you know, there's none of those types of things. So I think that it is different. Um, But yeah, maybe that's something that we can talk about later on. Maybe there's something that, you know, we can think about when it comes to uh, black and brown women um, and families.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah definitely and want then, to have an episode on that yeah 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 whole other episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you can come along all so. <laughs> of the associated structural inequalities in the medical system as well that often result in baby loss that could have been avoided yes i mean we've, yeah we,
2: i feel like i feel like it's a common theme <laughs> yes. dawn every time we've had yeah. we've done a series an episode that we that gets brought up because it is an issue and it is you know for some reason why why do you know women of color why are we more at risk mm-hmm. of losing the baby mm-hmm. um when nobody knows and they, they, instead of trying to find out, they just say, okay, let's just induce you instead. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, let's just create another problem. So, yeah. The
0: question should be, are we more at risk when we're in our natural environments? Or are we only more at risk in a Western environment? That's the answer to the question that I want to know.
2: yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? If yeah, people actually yeah,
1: another, <laughs> another
2: episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. But just quickly though, before yes. we we do end though, Saf, mm-hmm. I don't want to. I want you to just tell us a little bit more about you because you told us your story. Yeah. Okay. And so, what have you? Because you you the way you talk about trauma, you, you are an <laughs> expert. So I want I want the, the audience, I want everyone else to hear like what you've done and how you've you've used all your experiences mm-hmm. and, and put it into work and you're helping other people.
1: Yeah. So um, at the moment, I am a freelance trainer on Consultant. I do a lot of work around equity, justice and diversity. Um, And I use a kind of systems thinking lens to think about that. So why do we need to take a global systemic approach Um, and do that through a trauma lens as well. So the understanding that in order to treat people well and to create psychological safety, particularly in environments like social work and Um, homelessness and criminal justice and all those sorts of environments, that staff, operational staff and senior strategic staff must absolutely have an understanding of the complex lasting effects of trauma. Um, in order to be able to provide services that keep people well and focus on the well part of us. Um, Because quite often I think that that's really sidelined and it only works to increase our triggers and exacerbate our experiences of trauma. And it is both things that cost a lot of money to do, like tearing the system down and starting again. But there's a lot of agency that we all have within ourselves to create change. And that's why I think that, say, that little room, it probably wouldn't cost too much money to pick that crappy sofa or put those two chairs or whatever it was and put it in a different space to mm. print some stuff up and put it on the wall to get a salt lamp and add it to there to make sure that those tissues are in a good looking box. It's little things as well that just make us feel a little bit more held in some of the most difficult moments of our lives. And if they had done that in my, if I had had that, sorry, not done it for me, if I had benefited from that as part of my experience
2: then I would have remembered it very differently. Yeah, yeah, and it does. It, it definitely. I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert. I don't know like Saf does, but it does make a difference. Like mm-hmm. today, you can't see, but I've tried <laughs> my best, and I've got some candles can lit. Sing. I'm trying to make sing. it smell nice. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make it feel nice because I'm conscious. What we're talking about is heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want you to be comfortable. And that is my main goal for this podcast. I want people to be comfortable, be comfortable through grief, be comfortable through baby loss. It is not a nice thing for anybody involved, but we need to talk about it. And we need to, we need to think about our being, and we don't do that enough.
1: Absolutely. And I think this is a really important space and I can smell a nice candle. And <laughs> <laughs> um, that is really important. And it's an important... To be part of, like, I feel quite privileged to be able to have the conversation as well. So, thank you too for like inviting me in. But also, I think that having like uh, conversations that explore like the diversity and complexity of this situation and all the different things that happen to all of us in all of the different ways, depending on who we all are, is really important. And I, I didn't look for them, And, and maybe there are other things out there, but. I would have really benefited from just being able to like press play on something like this and hear real women talk about real stories makes it feel less awful because there's some, even if you haven't got a support system around you, there's some comfort in knowing that other people are yeah. going through something that feels quite similar. You're not to alone. Them. Yeah, exactly. You're not, mm-hmm. And you're not
2: alone out there. Anyone that's exactly. listening, you're not alone. Absolutely. Yeah. So, thank but you. Thank you. And thank you for coming today. I'm really, oh, I'm no really glad that you came and it's been
1: really good to hear your story. And I do appreciate you sharing that with us. And we'll do another episode on like structural inequalities in the medical system. <laughs> we will. And today. you'll be back. Don't worry. She'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> thank
0: you. Great. Thanks so much, Shafia. I really enjoyed having you. And I'm really glad that you're able to tell your story and share this because I think that um, it's, We hear about you know miscarriages etc but yours is quite unique in terms of what it was that happened we know it's a rare condition and also your process through it so yeah just thanks a lot for coming on on this sunny Saturday.